Well, good morning, friends. I also want to welcome you here today, especially if you're a first-time guest, returning guest. Uh, My name is David. I serve as a senior pastor here, and uh, grateful to be here with you on a beautiful Sunday, kind of a uh, different Sunday than we've had the last uh, few weeks. The sun is out. It's not raining. There's no uh, great wind, so uh, grateful that you're here on this this beautiful day. If you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open that uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, If you didn't bring your Bible with you, we have these blue Bibles. Uh, throughout our worship space and you can find 2 Corinthians chapter 8 on page 1799 in those Bibles that we have here uh, all throughout our sanctuary. Uh, over these last few weeks, we've talked about uh, this, uh, this idea. This idea has been the focus of uh, the entire series uh, that when we think about uh, generously, living generously, um, this is how we double the blessing that God has poured into our lives. That blessing uh, is the business that God is in. Blessing is who God is. It's what God does. And the Christian life is all about a response to what God has done. And so the Christian life is about doubling the blessing that God has poured into our lives. Uh, I've shared with you already in this series that one of the things that I've learned uh, serving as a pastor for 20 years is that whenever you talk about generosity, people assume it's because the church needs money. And that part of what I wanted to hear is that is absolutely true. It's absolutely true in the sense that we are, as you've already heard, we are a self-funded nonprofit, and everything that we do as an expression of our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God, love others, and serve the world, everything that we do is made possible because of our shared generosity, that our giving is what fuels that work and every single expression of it, those that you are familiar with and those that you don't even know. Your giving is what makes everything that we do possible. And so in a very real way, that is true. The church uses the resources that we share in order to do the the work that we do day in and day out. But there is also another reason, a more significant reason, uh, I would say, why generosity is something that we talk about, we focus on. And that is that when we think about generosity, we believe it's an essential practice of a growing disciple of Jesus. We've talked about three themes in this series. Uh, First, that when we think about the word blessing in our culture, we often associate that word with something material, something tangible. We talk about those things as the blessings of our life. And part of what the scriptures would caution us to think about in in, in thinking about blessings in, in that way is that we run the risk Uh, of mistaking what we think of as our greatest blessing uh, actually in fact being our greatest liability. Uh, That alongside that theme, one of the things that we all face, we all face the, the temptation in managing the abundance of life, any one of us could find ourselves missing the meaning of our lives. And so when we think about generosity and this area of our life and what the Bible speaks to us about that, what what the teachings of Jesus, uh, how how they instruct us in in this particular area, there's two practices that we find throughout the scriptures that, that are clear, tangible ways in which we guard our hearts in this particular area of our life. We've talked about the principle of the first fruits, that we give to God as a first fruit offering. We give off the top, we don't give off the bottom, not out of what is left, but out of the abundance that we have, we give it to God to say, God, I want you to be first in my life. And the other principle that we find in the scriptures is the principle of the tithe, 10% that we return to God, 10% of what we receive as a way of saying, God, I want to trust you with my life. And then the final theme that everything belongs to God. 
Every gift that we receive in our life, even the very air that we breathe, is a gift of God. And everything in our life, everything in our life, to live faithfully as a follower of Jesus, it's about managing these gifts that God continually gives in every single aspect of our lives. Which is why we believe, again, that generosity is an essential practice. It's an essential practice of a growing disciple of Jesus. And so as we bring this series to a close, uh, because we believe in the work that we're doing, and because we believe that this is an essential practice of a disciple of Jesus, we're going to have a time of commitment together. You're going to be invited at the end of this message. If First Methodist Mansfield is your home, you're going to be invited to come and in these baskets that we have up here uh, to share a commitment card. Uh, This card is is your opportunity and our opportunity to commit together to the ministry that we're going to do in the year ahead. I want you to know this is also a way in which you enable your leadership to make wise decisions about your generosity, about your gifts, ensuring that your dollar goes as far as it possibly can in fulfilling the mission that we share together. Uh, If you're a guest here, uh, I want you to know we certainly don't expect uh, you to make a a financial commitment today, especially if this is your first time. If you want to, that's great, but that's not the expectation. If you are a guest, what I want you to know as you're here today, I want you to know that this is a church that believes in generosity and that part of the reason that we do is because of you. It's because we want to be a church that makes room for others, that allows others to find a home here. And so as you experience this worship service today, I want you to know that part of why we do uh, this, this probably engage in this practice, why we make this commitment is because, is because of you. Because we want to give you a chance to find a home here to, uh, to receive blessing as we have, have received that in our life. And so, so this, is, this is really a gift for you. Now, if you're, if you're one of those who, who is, is ahead of the game and you've already returned a card, I want to encourage you just to bring a blank one up. Again, as a representation of, of our commitment together, I turned my card in on Thursday. So I'm going to turn four blank cards in this, this weekend over the course of the four services that I preach. But, but I'm doing that because this is, this is what we're all doing together. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, we're going to look at this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And some may assume that this, this whole practice of, of raising money for the sake of ministry, you may assume that this is a modern phenomenon. This is something the church has just started doing. But uh, we're going to look at how this same practice was lived out in the first century church, the very first Christian communities uh, that, that, that were started uh, by the men and women who first gave their lives to Jesus. And now you may remember that the first Christian community Uh, was formed in Jerusalem. And everyone who was a part of that community, the men and women who gave their life to Jesus in Jerusalem, were Jewish people. And and when they became, uh, when they made that commitment, when they united as this new community, they didn't believe that they had become something different than they were before. They didn't understand themselves as being uh, former Jews who were now Christians. They understood themselves to be Jews who had received the Messiah that God had promised through the prophets, the Messiah that, that, that would come. And, and so for them, they saw this as a fulfillment, not, not as a, a transition into, into something new that they had not been before. But as the message began to spread beyond the boundaries of Israel, as it, as it went into Damascus and Antioch and into Philippi and Ephesus and Thessalonica and Athens and Corinth, all throughout the Roman world, all of the individuals in those new communities, they weren't Jewish people, they were Gentiles, which is a first century way of saying that they were not Jews. 
Uh, they didn't have the same background. They were, uh, were former pagans who practiced the Roman cult religion of worshiping many gods. And so one of the big questions that the early church had to deal with Partly because these Jews in Jerusalem didn't understand themselves as becoming a part of something different, one of the first questions was for these Gentiles who were professing faith in Christ, did, did they first need to become Jews and then they could get to Jesus or did they get to skip all the way to, to Christ in the very beginning? In other words, was this a one-step process for them or was it two? Were, were these people in fact a part of the, of the same Thing. The second big question that, that the early church had to deal with was among this loose network of churches. And by the way, church, uh, in, in terms of the first century, that's a, that's a generous term. We're not talking about buildings that they constructed where they came together and they worshiped. We're talking about homes in which they gathered and they shared the Lord's Supper and they shared life with one another, shared resources with one another. But this loose network of house churches spread out all throughout the Roman Empire as persecution of Christians began and it increased over the course of the first two centuries, the big question was, how are we going to support one another? And, and is that, in fact, something that we should do? Is, uh, sh should we, as, as this, again, this loose network, should we be committed to supporting those who, who are experiencing persecution? So at the time of this writing, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, Corinth, as, as the crow flies, is a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. Uh, if, if you make the journey by land, it's about double that distance. So you have a sense of how far the gospel has gone, how far it has traveled at this point. And persecution has started, but really at this point, it's only happening in Jerusalem. And so Paul's response to this question of, well, how are we going to support one another, and do we even need to do that? is Paul was again visiting all of these churches that he'd helped start and he'd helped form, and he was collecting an offering for, from them in order to take it back to Jerusalem to support the men and women there who had given their lives to Jesus, whose lives were growing more difficult each and every day. So that's what Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As we begin to read this, he's, he's talking about this offering that, again, he's collecting from all of these various churches in various cities in order to support the men and women in Jerusalem. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, here's how it begin, begins. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Macedonia was a part of Rome. So think Philippi, Ephesus, Thessalonica. Those were some of the big, big areas uh, in Macedonia. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. So this is a letter that Paul writes as he's on the way to Corinth. And at this point, it just kind of sounds like a progress report. I want you to know that as I'm making this journey, the, the churches in Macedonia, they've done really well. We're doing really well in, in collecting an offering to support our, our brothers and sisters in, in Jerusalem. It, it sounds at this point that Paul's just letting them know, hey, as, as, as we're all in this great project together, 
so far it's going pretty good. Look at verse, uh, verse 6. So we urge Titus, that was a traveling companion to Paul, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So here's an important note. The Corinthians knew this was coming. Paul had already told them that this was something he was going to be doing, and what he had encouraged them to do is in the months uh, that followed between his two, journey, between his two trips, so perhaps as, as long as a year, he encouraged them to set aside resources so that when he came back, he could, he could collect those and return them to Jerusalem. So Titus, he sends ahead to complete this work, to, uh, to see that, that they finished uh, the work. Look at verse 7. Uh, so we urge Titus, there we are, but, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, Paul writes, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. So here's, here's the ask. Here, here's Paul expressing uh, what he hopes to, to have happen. And you might notice that this is a fairly bold ask. I mean, this is an ask that if you were there in, in the church at Corinth, you, you might have been kind of squirming in your seat at this point. As Paul says, I'm not, not going to command you here, but here's what I want to do. I want to test the sincerity of your love. And the way I'm going to test that is I'm going to compare what you do to what these other churches have done which I've already told you what they've done. They have exceeded our expectations. They've gone above and beyond in the midst of a, severe, uh, a very severe trial. Uh, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, it's welled up in rich generosity. So I just want you to know, as I'm, as I'm coming, I'm, I'm coming to test the sincerity of, of, of your love. Here's how it says, says it in another translation. You have plenty of everything after all. You have plenty of faith. You have plenty of speech and knowledge and all kinds of eagerness and plenty of love. So why not have plenty of this grace too? I'm not saying this as though I was issuing an order to you. It's a matter of putting their enthusiasm and your own love side by side and making sure that you genuinely pass the test Again, it's, it's a fairly bold ask. Look at verse 10 and 11. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also the first to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. So one of the things that's fairly obvious here is that Paul really cared about this offering. He really cared about the offering that each of these churches was collecting. And we can further assume that one of the reasons that Paul cared so deeply about this is because he knew what was happening in Jerusalem. 
He had been there. He had seen firsthand what they were facing, how each and every day their lives were growing more and more difficult. And he knew that the only reason they were facing these trials, the only reason they were going through the suffering that they were experiencing was because they had said yes to Jesus. And these were not men and women who were raised in Christian homes and nurtured in order to make this commitment of faith. These were people who had said yes to Jesus when this was an incredibly unpopular thing to do. There was nothing culturally convenient for them about the commitment that they had made. And they were experiencing this suffering. They were enduring this this struggle because they had refused to give up. They had refused to say, this is too hard. It's not fun anymore. We're ready to pull back. They had kept going despite all of the things that they were experiencing. And we can imagine that Paul was deeply moved by that. He was inspired by that. We can imagine that what Paul would eventually endure in his life, that part of what inspired him in those future trials is he remembered He must have thought about those those men and women in Jerusalem and what they went through. And that despite everything that they faced, they refused to give up. So he obviously cared because he knew the need. He knew their names. He knew their stories. He knew what they were going through. And so we can imagine he was deeply motivated because because of his awareness of what was actually happening in Jerusalem. But there's, but there's another thing going on here that I want to make sure that you don't miss. Remember, there were two questions. The first is, how are we going to support one another? This is Paul's answer. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to collect an offering. But there was the second question. And it was the question of the relationship between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Those who were Jews who had claimed Jesus as their Messiah, surrendered their lives to him as Lord of their life, and Gentiles who had made the same commitment and the question was are these two groups of people really a part of the same thing were they really individuals who were now united under one hope and one faith were they in fact united under one lord And while there were differing opinions on that from some of the significant leaders in the early church partly because Jesus didn't answer that question for them if, if you look at the writings of Paul, if, you, if we were to read through all of that, we would see that the Apostle Paul's answer was absolutely yes. Yes, everyone who has said yes is a part of the same movement that is traveling all throughout the Roman Empire. Paul believed that to fully understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus meant to understand that the death of Jesus was also the death of all division. And that when God raised Jesus from the dead, God also seated Jesus on the throne over all creation and all people. Which meant that anyone and everyone, anywhere and everywhere who heard the gospel and said yes was a part of all of the people all throughout the world who had also said yes in their own life. They were all a part of this same community of faith. In Galatians, he writes, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. This was one of the deep convictions of Paul's life, a deep conviction of his ministry. And while others, again, thought about this differently than Paul did, 
he knew that one of the tangible and clear ways that he could put this question to rest was if Gentile Christians in Thessalonica and Philippi and Galatia and in Corinth and in Athens and in Antioch, if Gentile Christians in a tangible way through their own sacrifice of resources, if they sacrificed and gave to the men and women, those Jewish Christians living in Jerusalem, and in doing so in a very practical and real way communicated to them, we see what you're going through. We've heard about your struggle. If that was to happen, it would speak very clearly to this question of are we in fact a part of this same family? Because that's exactly what Paul believed it would be. It would be all of these Gentiles all across the Roman world saying, we know what you're going through. And we don't know your names, we're probably never going to meet. But we know you're suffering. We know you're going through a very severe trial. We've heard about what's happening. And we want you to know that we got your back. And that you, as you persist in your faith, and as you refuse to give up, this struggle is not one that you will have to walk through alone. That there are people you've never met. There, there are communities all throughout the Roman world who are sharing in this commitment to Jesus and want you to know that we're going to walk through this with you. We're going to support you. We're going to fight for you. Even though you are living in a place where no one else is fighting for you. There are those who love you, who believe in you, who have made the same commitment to Jesus. And this giving is a reflection that we are, in fact, brothers and sisters, united in one hope and in one faith and under one Lord. So I want you to think about what that means for the church today as we look at this practice in the first century and the way in which they lived this out. I want, I want you to hear that your giving does, in fact, fuel the work of the gospel in the lives of others. It, it does do that. That is absolutely accurate and true. But your giving is also a living witness of what the gospel has done in you. It is a reflection of the grace of God at work in your life. It is a living witness, a testimony that the blessing that God has poured into your life has not been wasted, but you, out of your sense of allegiance to Jesus as Lord and Savior, and out of your understanding of grace at work in your life, the blessing that you have received has now been doubled and it's been given the opportunity to be doubled again and again and again. It is a tangible declaration of that. That the blessing that God has given you is a blessing that you have returned as a, as a way of saying thank you. It, is a, it represents a finishing of grace in your life when you finish the work. When your eager willingness is matched by your completion of it. So, so, so I want you to hear that your giving does turn the lights on, which is about as exciting as the new shingles that I have on my house, okay? I wasn't excited about paying for those. You know, you know they're shingles, but you want to have them, right? 
You want to have lights. It's not exciting until you don't have it. But it also fuels the work that we do with kids. And it fuels the work that we do as students and the work that we do with adults. It does enable us to have six worship services each and every week. It does enable us to be really a seven-day-a-week church. One of the challenges I would give to anyone in our church, just try to find a time during the week where you would drive by this church and the parking lot would be empty. Just try. I mean, I challenge you, really. You're, you're going to see that this is a church that, that, that uses the resources of the facilities that we have to, to be a blessing to our community, to, to invest in each other's lives all day long, every single day. And your giving enables that to happen. Your giving does in, fact in life, does, in fact, allow lives to be changed. It enables that work. It enables the work of people being drawn in relationship to to their creator. It is a way in which hearts are mended. But I want to make sure you hear, it's more than that. It represents and it speaks to, it is a loud declaration of what God has done in your life. Of what grace has done in your life. It's a finishing of grace. It's a declaration of what you have chosen to do with the blessing that God has poured into your life. It invests in what the gospel is doing in others, but it also speaks to what the gospel has done in you. And not just just you, by the way, not just you and your life. It speaks to what's happening here. It speaks to what God is doing in the life of this church. It speaks to God's spirit being unleashed among us. It speaks to to, to God doing work that is far beyond us. It speaks to to life change that we can't even fathom or understand and we know is something beyond anything that we can do. It speaks to what what, what God is doing among us, what the Spirit is doing among us. It speaks to to the heart and faith of this church. It speaks to this notion that this, this mission that we have that you hear about in every single service and you see it on the wall that it's more And just words we say or something we would put on a wall, but it's something that is the engine of the fire of this church in everything that we do to ensure that grace that is received and grace that that has been poured into our life is grace that is changing us. It's doing something in us. And it enables us to see the world in a whole new way, the kingdom, understanding the kingdom of God in a whole new way. A way of saying that we, we... We know there's a responsibility that we bear of bringing God's kingdom here in every form, in every form that that might take. I shared this uh, quote uh, with our church in a note this week uh, from one of my favorite authors, N.T. Wright. He he says this, with almost everything worthwhile, there comes a moment when the initial energy drains away, the novelty of the project has worn off, and you have to make up your mind to go on despite the fact that at the moment... It isn't any fun anymore. My guess is you know, you know what he's talking about. Because if there's any great project that you have in your life, if there's any, there's a, any goal of what you hope your life will be, if you spend any time thinking about what you hope the legacy of your life will be and what others might say of you at the, at the end of your life, of what, what you did, how you invested yourself, what what the meaning and magnitude of your life really was, you, you, you've experienced days and you know that there will be days ahead where pursuing that goal and taking that next step isn't a fun one. 
and you've probably already experienced on multiple occasions, and you know it's going to happen again, that there are going to be opportunities, there are going to be temptations, there's going to be days that you want to quit. That initial enthusiasm is not enough, which is why commitments are so important in our life. Because commitments remind us of the road that we have chosen to travel and the people that we have said we want to be. The decisions that we have made in our life to to focus ourselves to create boundaries for where we will go and where we will not go, what we will do and what we will not do, who we hope to be and who we, in in everything that we do, we, we, we hope we will not be. Commitments are the way that we, that we stay the course. And we say, I want to I keep going in this direction regardless of what, uh, of what may come my way, regardless of, of the days that I experience where it isn't fun anymore. It's remembering these words of Paul, you have plenty of everything. And I want you to hear, church, you have plenty of faith. You have plenty of speech. You have plenty of knowledge. You have all kinds of eagerness. You have plenty of love. So here again, these words of Paul, why not have plenty of this grace too? And each and everything that you do, I've, I've already shared this with you, but I'll say it again. I really believe generosity will change your life. I really believe that. I've seen that in the lives of others. I've experienced that in my own life. And if someone were to ask me, David, can you explain that to me just from your perspective? What do you mean when you say that generosity has changed your life? Here's how I would say it. Every time I give something, it is a reminder that I once had nothing. That there was once a poverty in my life that had nothing to do with possessions. But it was rather an absence of the riches that is a life with Christ. And that somewhere along the way in my life, because of the work of the church and because of the generosity of others, God came into my life. And as God came into my life, God helped me find me. In the words of Ephesians chapter 2, I once was dead and I didn't even know it. And I was heading in a direction, maybe you can remember this in your life, I was heading in a direction of a life that was absent of meaning. A life that, that was really filled, filled with nothing. I, I, I was, uh, despite the fact that I was the preacher's kid in the church, I was that kid that people were saying, well, we hope Jesus does something with him. <laughs> I had nothing. And I didn't even know it. But because of what others did in my life, there is now a richness that I never thought was possible. And I want you to hear that absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing is a greater treasure than that. My guess is that many of you have experienced the same thing. That somewhere along the way you realize that you really, you really had nothing but that because of grace, because of others investing in your life, because of the work of the church, you realize that you had the chance to be given everything. A new life that is a life with Jesus. 
And so as we commit together, I, I do want you to know that the work that you do matters. The generosity that you share matters. Your giving matters. It does do the work that, that, w- that we share. It is important in that way. But I also want you to think about that as we commit together, this is also a chance for us to remember what God has done and is doing in our lives. That we are not who we once were. And because of grace, we see the world differently than we did before. And now we give out of abundance because we know that there was a time in our life when we had absolutely nothing. And so the challenge in every single aspect of our life, anything that is worthwhile, is to finish the work. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we thank you for what you have done in us and among us. And we thank you, Lord, for life transformation that, again, we can't describe. We can't describe it in our own life. We can't describe what we see in others. We know that what is happening among us is something that is bigger than any one of us individually or even what we could do together. Your spirit, Lord, Your spirit, Lord, is doing incredible and amazing things. And you are doing that, Lord, by the the sacrifice of your people, by the investment of their time and their energy, their resources. You, Lord, are doubling again and again the blessings that we might share with others. And as we do, Lord, you're doing it in our life as well. And so as a church family, as we commit together again to the ministry that you have called us to do, may this also be a moment when we remember all the things that you have already done. Everything that you have done in our lives for which in this moment we return to you our thanks and our praise. And we do all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.